All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court of the Court of North All Carolina. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In this episode, we listen to a 2015 interview with former Superior Court Judge Shirley L. Fulton. Judge Fulton was the first woman African-American prosecutor in Mecklenburg County and the first ever African-American woman Superior Court Judge in North Carolina, where she continued to serve in that role for more than 20 years. In the interview, Judge Fulton shares her experiences growing up on a cotton and tobacco farm in Kingstree, South Carolina, and the many lessons she learned throughout her distinguished career. This interview was recorded as part of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism's historical video series. Judge Fulton was a recipient of the Chief Justice's Professionalism Award in 2015. The interview was conducted by Dr. Mary Howerton, professor at Queen's University of Charlotte. Dr. Howerton speaks first in the interview. So let's start with your beginnings. Um, I found that you hail from King Street, South (laughs) Carolina. Tell us about King Street. King Street is a very small um, area. I like to tell people that I'm in the middle of many metropolis between Florence and Charleston and Hilton Head. So it's the lower low country as they refer to it. And I grew up there on a cotton and tobacco farm and couldn't wait to leave. So I saw education as my escape. Went to North Carolina A and T and never went back. Never went back to King never Street to live. Uh-huh. And and so uh, I know that education has been important to you throughout your life. Mm-hmm. How did you further your ed- education after um, the university and decide you would go to law school? <laughs> um, I didn't know that I wanted to go to law school. Like many people grow up knowing they want to be a lawyer, I did not grow up that way. Uh, I made that decision after I'd gone through three years of undergraduate school and I dropped out. Uh, Many people don't know that I dropped out of school, but I did. And I went to work in the Register of Deeds office, Guilford County Register of Deeds, where I met lawyers for the first time. And after watching them and talking to them about what they were doing and how they did it, and of course they were walking around looking very impressive, and I decided that I wanted to do that. So I made up my mind that I would go back to undergrad and get my degree in 
uh, pursue a career in law, mm -hmm. become a lawyer. And so uh, you met lawyers and, and you liked what you saw and, and heard, and you entered law school at one of our great universities. Duke Law School, mm -hmm. and I had a five-year-old tagging along with me who entered kindergarten the same day I started law school. Well, that was a challenge. <laughs> a kindergartner and a law school, full of law school professors. Yeah, I think, I think it was a good education for him and probably for them as well to mm -hmm. have a toddler around so often uh, as I was trying to study and uh, matriculate the law school. Mm -hmm. So you managed to uh, get through law school and begin to raise a, a young boy, mm -hmm. and uh, then you had to find a job. You had to find employment. Well, I had been working with a firm in Durham as part-time during the time that I was in law school. I did a lot of things when I was in law school, like I taught, I worked for a firm, and I continued there for a year, and I decided after doing it for a year that I really needed to step back and um, find something that would permit me to be a lawyer as well as be a mother. And that's when I started looking for some other form of employment. I got a call from um, the former dean of the Duke School of Law she was not the dean at the time. She'd been one of my professors, but she knew that I was looking for another uh, kind of employment. So she called me and asked me if I would come to Charlotte and interview with Peter Gilchrist because he was looking for an assistant district attorney. And I agreed to do that. Uh, and the rest is history. Hmm. So your first job outside of the small law firm that you worked with for the state of North Carolina was as a ADA. As an assistant district mm -hmm. attorney mm -hmm. and uh, moved to Charlotte from Durham and uh, had a good career. Mm -hmm. So now you're moving farther and farther away from Kings Tree, South Carolina. You're in uh, Charlotte mm -hmm. and uh, raising a son and working for the district attorney's office. What was it about that office that intrigued you? What, what did you learn as a result of being a, D, a DA? I learned how to try a case, uh, something that I did not have any experience doing because I was doing mostly research and um, writing briefs before I came to the district attorney's office. And it really was a good experience because you got thrown in and um, you sink or swim. Mm -hmm. And Peter was such a great boss. He was always there to support you uh, as long as you were doing the right thing, uh, even if you did it for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. I can remember him stepping into court sometimes and uh, whispering something in your ear. and. Sometimes Peter would say things that would make you step back and, <laughs> and take a second look, um, and then he would be gone. But um, that was a really good experience because you 
got to go into court and try cases, especially at the district court level. Didn't know much about it, but you knew how to put a case up and ask the right questions and get your witness to give you as best answers you can get out of a witness that you don't know what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I did that for about two years and then I moved to <coughs> Superior Court to try cases there. That was a much more challenging um, position and where I ended up was trying sex offense cases involving children which was a very stressful, high burnout type of case just mm -hmm. because of the nature of the cases and the victims that are involved. Mm -hmm. But that's what I was doing when I left the district attorney's office. Mm -hmm. You left the um, DA's office mm -hmm. and where, what happened then? Mm -hmm. I guess it was close to five years in. There was a vacant seat on the district court bench and I went to Peter and said, I'm interested in this position, um, will you support me? And he did. It was a bar vote and I um, was the top vote getter. Um, of course, as with bar votes, the three top vote getters go to the governor for uh, a selection and Governor Martin was the governor at that time, and I was chosen to be the district court judge for Mecklenburg County, which was a really big deal because, you know, I, I consider myself an introvert. So going and standing in front of people and having the bailiff say, all rise and <laughs> all eyes coming at me was really sort of a nervous thing for me. I didn't, what, I, what was going through my mind was, what will I do with my hands? <laughs> As you sit on the bench. As I and sit you on learn the bench. quickly, no one can even see your hands <laughs> if, you, if you put them in your lap. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a great story. So um, I know you'd be a person of great humility, and uh, I would assume that the introversion that you talked about. It ha is seen oftentimes as humility, and, and so that plays into the, the quiet nature that you have about you. Yeah, uh, it, it speaks to who I am, and sometimes, though, if you sit on the bench for a long period of time, you think you lose your voice because you don't speak much, and I always wanted to make sure that when I said something, it was relevant to what was going on. And I went on the bench with the philosophy that I would treat everyone the way that I wanted to be treated. So there was not a person that came into my courtroom that I did not address as Mr. or Mrs. And I just think that if you treat people with respect, you get respect in return. Mm -hmm. And that was the uh, course of my judicial career, but I also um, decided at the beginning that I would make the best decision I could at that time given the evidence that was before me. But if I made what I decided later on was a wrong decision, that I would not be afraid to change it. 
So did you have that opportunity? Well, you were on the panel a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if not change it to alter it to be what I perceived as fair. The cases that were more challenging for me were the death penalty cases. Hmm. Talk, talk some about that. Well, it, even though the judge doesn't make the decision about life or death, there's nothing like sitting on the bench and sentencing someone to die. And after I did it the first time, I decided if I never did it again, it would be okay. But I had to do it a couple more times. And it, it, I think I got more comfortable doing it. So it made me wonder if someone kills somebody, do they become more comfortable as they kill more? <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but as I sentenced people, um, I was, didn't feel the nervousness that I felt the first time. Mm -hmm. And my bailiff said to me after the first um, sentence I imposed, he said, were you aware that you were rocking back and forth as you were imposing the sentence? And I was not, but I imagine that was comforting myself as I was doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Shirley, I'm, I'm curious about uh, young people in the law as we hear your professional experience. What, I know you've mentored many over the years, mm -hmm. um, many considering law school and others who have been in the practice and needing to spread their wings in a different way. So uh, first talk a little bit about what you've done as a mentor to young people who are considering the law. I have many young ladies, men, come to me and talk about um, their desire to be a lawyer or to go to law school. And I always tell them they need to make sure that they know how to write. And if they are weak with grammar or with English, they need to go back to school before they decide to go to law school. But I also tell them that whatever they do while they're in law school or once they become a lawyer, that they should not be concerned if it appears in the morning paper and their mother has to read about it. So don't do anything that you don't want your mother to know about. <laughs> How about those who are in the law and want to spread their wings in a different way? I'm sure you've mentored them as well. Yeah, and that's a whole different um, game. But I always tell them not to take on more than they can do. You know, sometimes we have young people who are eager to do everything. And we know that we can't be good at everything. So I encourage them to narrow their vision and do it one piece at a time. Maybe they'll get to do everything, but not right now. And so in that mentorship, character uh, certainly comes into play. 
And um, the word professionalism comes into play. If you were to describe what a professional is like or the characteristics that a professional should have, could have, what words would you use to make that description? One word would be humility. To always walk with humility and to treat people with respect. And another? Manners. Manners has always been a pet peeve of mine. And I think it became more of a pet peeve when I was in the court system because it would irritate me when I, I'm asking a question and someone would say, uh-huh, uh-uh. <laughs> and I would always say, does that mean yes or no? But um, I think that character development and manners is a part of that is critical. And we don't do it in our school system nearly as much as we should. Mm -hmm. So if it was, if I was a queen for a day, I would make sure that it's in every class as a part of every uh, curriculum, mm -hmm. manners and character development. Well, you are actually are queen for the day oh. today. So <laughs> talk about full circle, Shirley, the education that was a big part of your life and changed your life from cotton farming, tobacco farming, to being serving in our community as a leader in the judicial system. And now, full circle, you're creating a school of your own. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, as you know, education is a backbone, my backbone. Uh, because I think now more about living 23 miles from where uh, Brown versus the Board of Education originated and having South Carolina delay the start of um, the ruling that was implemented. Ruling came down in 1954. I'm in 12th grade and it still had not gone into effect in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So that was 1968. I didn't have the opportunity to um, enjoy the privileges that came along with Brown versus Board of Education. But I think that what I got was a solid education. And as I was picking cotton or working on the farm, I would dream about being educated and going away and um, doing other things, not working on a farm. So my goal, even then, was to get an education, even though it was not promoted um, family or community-wise, because it just was something outside of the realm of possibility for a lot of them. And I'm so thankful that I was a breakthrough for them. Mm -hmm. And you're also breakthrough in, uh, with a community charter school that you're starting. That's one of the things I'm working on now is a charter school because I just, I, I see so many things that I personally think need to happen for lots of young kids who are um, living below poverty or in poverty and parents are struggling 
not able to give them the time that they need to make sure that they get a good education. And as I watch charter schools come up, I made a decision that here's an opportunity to address some of the issues that I see, to take kids who don't fit in the square peg and give them room to learn and to grow. So that's my vision, to make sure that all kids, um, poor, not poor, have an opportunity to get a well-rounded education and to create a way for parents, and I know that having parental involvement is important, make that accessible. And I know that's not easy, um, but I also know that there is a way to do it. Mm. So that's what I'm working on. On behalf of the Professionalism Commission, we hand you this award and would love to hear from you, Judge Fulton, and I'll hold that for you if you wish. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> Today, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge the, com the commemoration of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday that we celebrated this week and what his quest for justice and equality has meant to me and how it helped shape my life. His values, his commitment to justice are all models, is a model for all lawyers. In his words, commit yourself to the noble struggle for equal rights. You will make a better person of yourself, a greater nation of your country, and a finer world to live in. I thank him for being a drum major for justice. As we re-examine the issues of fairness for all in the laws that threaten to be taken away that so many died for in this state. As lawyers, we are the drum majors and the single most important route to equality and equity. I am so proud to be a lawyer and to serve this state, to make the justice system the best that it can be, to work with all of you as colleagues, and to keep our profession a high calling in the spirit of public service. To be selected to receive the Chief Justice's Professionalism Award, one of the most prestigious awards in the legal profession, reaffirms my commitment to the profession and its important place in the future that we create. Over 2,000 years ago, Hippocrates defined professionalism for doctors with the oath that he wrote. Today, that message is often distilled into a clearly understood mandate. Heal your patients, do no harm. It might not be coincidental that despite the changes in the healthcare system, Gallup polls continue to show that people trust their nurses, their dentists, their doctors, and their pharmacists, while lawyers are among the least trusted. If I could prescribe professionalism for lawyers, it would be distilled into a clearly understood mandate. Be respectful to all and walk with humility.
for it is a quality of humbleness and response and resonates respect for others. Again, thank you for honoring me with the Chief Justice Award for Professionalism. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give it a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential to sharing the important work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.